This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into, into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. I'm an extrovert, so being in front of a huge group of people I don't know is just like so energizing right now, I can't begin to tell you. Uh, uh, so can you all see me in the back? Because if not, I can stand up here, but I think you can see me. Uh, so yeah, I'm Bill Barter, and I'm an associate to the bishop. Um, I bring greetings from the New England Synod, and, uh, and I'm very pleased that I was asked to be here. Initially, uh, this was going to take place in January. Um, as one could have predicted, there was snow, and uh, that does happen in Maine and New Hampshire, I understand, uh, in January, and so uh, that didn't happen. And then, you know, Luther and I were talking about, uh, isn't it great you have an Episcopal priest named Luther? Like, I mean, <laughs> as my dear departed friend uh, Tim Rosa would say, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> you know? so, and, you know, I was raised Catholic, and my middle name is Martin, so, you know, it's... Uh, but um, so, and I, you know, and I didn't, I, I wrote the sermon and then memorized it, which I've entirely forgotten because I have ADHD, so uh, we'll, we'll get through this. Um, but, you know, we were talking about moving it to the fifth Sunday in Lent, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, we we're both a little worried about, like, well, this is Lent, and, you know, the readings and whatever, but, I mean, for Reconciling Christ Sunday, you've got, you know, Isaiah saying, uh, you know, speaking God's word, you know, uh, look, I'm, I'm doing something new, I'm doing something really new. Uh, and then you've got the psalm that says people who were weeping, you know, are now rejoicing. Uh, and you have the gospel where Jesus does what Jesus does best, which is call out people for their, um, what word can I use, for their crap, you know, when they, when they um, uh, you know, are saying, well, this woman shouldn't be doing this, like women don't do this, and she's not doing this, and she's wasting this, and whatever, and Jesus is like, leave her alone, let her be herself, and by the way, she's being a little prophetic right now, uh, you know, and, and so, I mean, these readings are kind of pretty fitting, I think, for Reconciling Christ uh, Sunday. Uh, so, um, not only um, am I uh, associate to the bishop for, for Maine, uh, I, I have the Maine, Maine comprises, as you know, 50% of the geographic territory of the, of the synod. Uh, so we only have 16 congregations, but it takes me seven and a half hours to get to one of them from where I live. 
Um, and, um, but I'm also uh, the safe church specialist for the whole synod, which I go around and teach uh, child safety stuff and, and clergy boundaries and, and all of that stuff. In another life, I'm, I'm a, a forensic psychologist, actually, in my other, in my day job, as they say. Um, and, um, and I also identify as queer, um, and I am um, married to a dude. Uh, and, uh, in, and married in my church, uh, where I was last, my, the last Lutheran church I served uh, was St. Ansgar in Portland, which is a Reconciling Christ church, and, and I was married there, something that we could not have dreamed of years ago, uh, definitely. So, um, and so I, I'm honored also as a person uh, who, I, I, who it benefits from Reconciling in Christ uh, to, to be here to, to speak with you today. You know, growing up, uh, and I do use, I, I identify, I use the word queer to identify myself because I, when it got to GLBTQIA, I just thought, boy, if there's one more letter, I'm not going to remember it. So I'm just, I'm queer. Uh, that's just easier, you know. It's one of those words that, pe you know, people take back that was used against us at one time uh, that we have now taken ownership of. And, um, and so it's, uh, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay to use that word. Uh, so I... Um, Growing up, I grew into my adolescence in the 1960s. I know I don't look that old, uh, but you're all, you're all in shock right now. I said, my body was 35, um, and I'm closer to 70 than 35. Uh, but I grew up in a time when there were no role models for me, really. I mean, think about those of you old enough to remember, like, the entertainment world back then, like people who were... People who did identify as gay or lesbian or queer were closeted, right? So there was Rock Hudson and there was Agnes Moorhead and all these sort of people that we know, know now uh, uh, were gay. And then um, the people who were sort of not really out but kind of were caricatures. They were really caricatures, not role models, like the actor Charles Nelson Reilly, um, Paul Lind. You know, everyone laughed at him on Hollywood Squares. He was, he was Obviously gay, and obviously, but it was okay to be gay if you were funny enough. You know, it was if you were a caricature and you made people laugh. You know, there are these clips on. For those of you not old enough to remember, you can go to YouTube and say Paul Lynn's Hollywood Squares and all of his answers. You know, to the questions were very sort of like very queer things to say on national television. And but he got away with it because he was funny. But those were my role models. It was a caricature. There were no positive role models for me growing up. Um, and, you know, in those days, homosexuality was illegal in more states than it was legal. And in Massachusetts, the first state to legalize um, same-sex marriage or marriage equality was actually a state where up until I think I was into college, there were still what they called gay raids. You know, the police would raid these gay establishments and gay parties and things like that. And we know uh, that was happening in New York, too, until Stonewall, when people kind of said, you know, uh, I think we've had quite enough of that, and th this movement started. But uh, it was a different time. But I think that nowhere in my life growing up, nowhere did I experience more oppression for my sexual orientation than in the church. Nowhere. That nothing rivaled the church in terms of telling me that I was less than. Now, I grew up, I had a Methodist father and a Catholic mother. I am the answer to the joke, what you get when you cross a Methodist and a, you know, you get a Lutheran, right? So, um, you get someone who believes in sacraments, but not the Pope, you know, that kind of thing. And, 
So, but my dad did become Catholic much later in life. But I was raised as a Catholic because if you married a Catholic, how many of you had to sign that agreement that you would raise your kids Catholic? Any mixed marriages here, you know? So I grew up in the Catholic Church with Catholic schools. And the lesson that I learned early on was no matter what I did, really, because of who I was, I was probably going to hell. And, and that was the message that was given. Like, I had to walk the straight and narrow, and I'm like, man, I've got to really hide who I am and not act on who I am. And I don't even know who I am, but I can't even talk about who I am or explore that with anybody because I know that I am going to hell. God does not love me the same way that God loves my, my twin brother who is not gay. And that nowhere, nowhere in the world in my life, and probably most people who, ex who grew up, uh, you know, uh, as, as questioning their sexual orientation at all in those days, or even in more recent times, would disagree with that. That the church was a worse place, really, if you were different in a lot of different ways. Um, I mean, the, the Lutheran church has not been, you know, I was, uh, I, was uh, I, did, I got my doctorate in Chicago, and while I was there, I was trying to stay under the radar, but, um, but the bishop found out that I, I was there, and I ended up being an interim uh, pastor of an African-American congregation for three years, and I heard for the first time that in Chicago, you couldn't be a senior pastor of a Lutheran church if you were black until about 1978, 79. I, can you imagine? I mean, so I mean, it, is only, it isn't only GLBTQIA people uh, that the church has been kind of, you know, really bad. Um, so I grew up in that environment. The church exquisitely sort of uh, figured out how to exclude people. Um, the church found this way to kind of make scripture say what scripture really doesn't say. My favorite version of that is the, the famous Leviticus clobber passage. And maybe in some of your RIC conversations, you've had this conversation. But, you know, the, the Hebrew is a really, really primitive language. Like it's it's like caveman language, like there's no, there's no prepositions. I mean, it's really like, you know, fire burn, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, Hebrew is a very primitive language. It doesn't have many of the conventions at all of a language we would recognize today in its purest form. And so the Leviticus passage, it says, not lie layings, man, woman, bed, abomination. Not lie layings, man, woman, bed, abomination. That's the literal translation of that. How in the world did we get, you know, what we have now? You know, well, because if you think about somebody that you kind of want, that you don't like or that you want to exclude, then you can kind of make the Bible say anything you want about them, right? You can, you can interpret things and so forth and so on. So that's the world that many of us grew up in. I bring that all up, not as a downer, actually as an upper, because... When a congregation becomes a reconciling in Christ congregation, what you're doing is saying, you know what, we are acknowledging first and foremost that the church exquisitely excluded queer people. And now we as a congregation are exquisitely going to welcome them. You know, a lot of folks will say, we've had this conversation in my home co uh, congregation right now. Uh, our congregation in Brunswick, um, they, I mean, there are a number of, there are a number, I know several people there who identify as queer, including myself. They just called an openly gay pastor there to be their pastor. They're not an RIC church. 
And so they've been talking about that. Well, why do we have to do that? We welcome everybody. Well, let me tell you, if I drive by a church and there's a sign out there and it says, all are welcome, I have never, ever in my life believed that that meant me. Never. All are welcome unless it's written in rainbow colors with a rainbow flag, you know, it doesn't mean me. All are welcome never means me. We have to be more purposeful than that in our welcome. And, and, and so it's, it's, it's a hard sell sometimes with congregations because people, you know, lots of good, probably, probably lots of good people here who would never discriminate against anybody, but probably nobody in this room. However, it's more about being so exquisitely welcoming to counteract those generations uh, in which we did just the opposite. You know, one of, a, a, a super derogatory term for gay men, faggot, came from the church. That's, that's it, that, it's kindling wood that was used to burn gay people at the stake but by, by the church. So, I mean, that's where we came from, folks. That's where we came from. So to put a sign out that says, reconciling in Christ with the rainbow colors, that's so powerful because it's, it's saying we're going in a whole, we are doing something new, just like God has told us from the days of Isaiah. We are doing something totally new. We are acknowledging our sinfulness in the past, and we are really making amends for that by our welcome. I um, was, my, as I said, my last Lutheran church, I said my last Lutheran church because I actually served an Episcopal church before I retired, but the last Lutheran church was uh, St. Ansgar in Portland, and uh, we were reconciling in Christ's congregation, and we put, there wasn't much in the way of signage out front, and so we decided to be a little more explicit, so we put this kind of bigger size rainbow flag on the church sign. And one Sunday morning, this young man, um, he, was, he was from the Philippines originally, this young man comes into church, he sits toward the back of the church, and he didn't say much to folks, you know, he was kind of quiet. And uh, he sat through the service, and, uh, and then it came time for communion, and he came up to communion rail. And when I was going around giving communion, I realized he was weeping. He was just weeping. And because uh, all the church, <laughs> I had all, all these grandmothers in the congregation who were like, are you okay? And they were giving him Kleenex and rubbing his back, and all these things that grandmothers and congregations do to people they don't even know, you know. And um, you know who you are. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, and so he goes back to his seat and so forth, and then people are talking to him afterwards. And this guy, you know, he had grown up in the Catholic Church in the Philippines. He had, been, he had been a sacristan in his church. He'd been very involved, and when he came out, he was thrown out. Now, in the Philippines, a lot of times if you worked for the church, you also lived there, you know, so he had no place to live. He was homeless. He was completely dis disinherited by the church uh, when he came out. And he went by, and he saw that rainbow flag and realized this might be a safe place and took communion for the first time in 10 years. The first time in 10 years. We're so, we're so good at keeping people away from God. Imagine withholding the body of Christ from someone. But we've done that. We have done that. And so, you know, be a public witness because, by the way, he was also young and an experienced sacristan, so boy, didn't those you know, 80-something sacristans jump on him, you know, <laughs> and he's now the sacristan at St. Ansgar. 
and, and loves it, absolutely loves it. Um, but that was that seeing that sign brought him in the door. You know, we've got to be a public witness to all of that. We've got to be a public witness to who we are and whom we welcome. Um, Jesus' ultimate public witness for inclusion happens on the cross. You know, we're, we're moving quickly toward Holy Week, Holy Week you know, uh, Palm Sunday and Holy Week, where we're reminded of that, that, that Jesus' ultimate act of openness and welcoming and loving everyone happens on the cross. And, 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 and it, we, we just, it's, it's hard to imagine a God uh, that would do that. It's hard to imagine a God that would sacrifice like that for everyone. And it speaks to what that means for us to be welcoming. It speaks to what that means for us to say to everyone, you are worthy of God's love. You are a child of God. You are made in the image and likeness of God. No matter whom you love or whom you're married to or how you identify or whether you are gender binary or not gender binary or whatever you're, you know, we, God created all of us. God made all of us. And uh, without condition, sent his son to die on the cross. No conditions. Just died on the cross for us. And that's amazing. I mean, that is, that's, that's why we do what we do. That's why we give a radical welcome. That's why we do something new. And that's why people who have shed tears may have feelings of joy because they are reminded how much God loves them and how much God calls them to himself. I, um, I'm delighted for all of you. I'm delighted for this congregation. I'm delighted for the synod that yet another congregation has taken that bold step to be a public witness of welcome. It's meaningful. It means the world to me and to every other queer person who walks into this building or even knows that you're a Reconciling in Christ congregation to know there's one more place that is making this purposeful, out loud, unabashed Christian welcome to everyone. That's what this table is about. That's what this word is about. That's what this place is about. That's what the cross is about. And now it's what you are about to be reconciling in Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.